Oh, here we go. It's a Wednesday with Ed, Tyler, and Jerry. That Back was more it. informative than my doctor about how <laughs> it that, uh, Yeah, that was, uh, that was something. Well, don't worry. We didn't talk about it yesterday. We just actually at talked all. about it all day and played the song. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's good for you. Uh, how are you feeling, buddy? Uh, better than expected. Yeah. Not bad at all, honestly. All right. All right. Haven't yet, you, you haven't yet uh, gone to the freezer for the, for the frozen peas. No, I haven't used to, haven't had to use any ice or anything like that. Wow, to feel coming feel back strong right now. Yeah, I, I haven't. I'm not allowed to drive until like 24 hours, right. and I'm not supposed to shower. So I'm kind, it's it's kind of gross, but I feel fine. Okay, that's good. We're we're, we're happy for you. Like I said, uh, <laughs> stayed away from it yesterday. Uh, they, we asked every, show, get, yeah, yeah. asked every guest about it. Uh, yeah. yeah, David they, Roth might need an David update. Roth. Yeah, David. <laughs> David Roth, it was his first question, and we caught him off guard. And you don't catch David Roth about off guard much about anything. We caught him off guard. Yeah, he was less prepared about the vasectomy question than he was the Taylor Swift question. Yes, exactly, and the Halloween question. Yes, it was. Uh, uh, the The weirdest thing is they gave me, like, these gauze underwear to wear. Oh, man. Like, I There's I so many jokes them. I can't They're make. Very, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I have, like, gauze underwear on right the, now. Uh, Big fan of these. Get the uh, seven-second <laughs> delay ready, Jared, because you're going to you're gonna come back with some jokes on that one. Well, we're glad you're okay. The First Bite. Can the Golden Knights continue scoring this many goals? I think if they keep playing the San Jose Sharks and uh, Anaheim Ducks on for Friday and the Winnipeg Jets will come back for the second time in like a week on Sunday. I don't know what they're doing back here, but, uh, you know, give them, you know they're compiling points. When you play who the schedule gives you, that's the whole cliche. It's true, though. I mean, this is who they've been given, but uh, they sure have uh, been given a nice road here to start things. They have the third most goals in the NHL so far this year. Now, there's some uneven games right they've played eight which is tied for the second most but they also have the uh third most expected goals on the season so offensively this team has been phenomenal and we talked about during the off season where's the goal scoring who's gonna score right you trade away max patch yes you have eichel yes you have stone and marsh or so but after that like, like where are the goals going to come for from this team because even Eichel, Stone, Marsh. So those are not guys that are pushing 50 goals. Those are not guys that are even likely to score 40. Those are guys that are maybe going to get to 30, and that's kind of it. But if you look at it so far, the Golden Knights, Jonathan Marsh is off to a terrific start. He's yes. got five goals. Eichel's got three, um, and Stevenson has three. Stevenson's had a great start. But they've gotten goals from Keaton Kolasar, Brett Howden, uh, Cotter, Amadio, Nick Waugh. Theodore. All of these guys that are depth wingers, depth centers have scored this year. And then last night, he's playing on the third line now, so technically he's a depth forward, but Phil Kessel scored his first goal of the season. They have gotten goals from everywhere across their forward lines, and if if that can continue, they're going to be just fine scoring. I just I don't know this early in the season how likely it is that, hey, we can count on every night somebody from the third or fourth line is going to score. Because that's basically what's happened throughout this season. Every single night, somebody on that third or fourth line is going to score. Maybe that is realistic. Maybe that is, you know, the way Bruce Cassidy wants to use his third and fourth line. Maybe there is a way that those lines can score almost every single night. I just, I don't know if it is 
uh, sustainable. Small but I will say, size. yeah, if you do look at goals and compare it to expected goals, they're not they're they're putting in almost exactly what they're expected to do so far this season. They're not like overperforming their shots and chances. They're basically right on par for where they should be. So maybe it is sustainable, but that's sort of where it's come from. Is the depth forwards have been the guys scoring? You know. Almost all of them have gotten at least one goal this year. And like you said, that was the one worry all season, all preseason. Yeah. Like, who who was going to score? Maybe this is good news for UNLV basketball. I mean, if, <laughs> if Las the Vegas teams next, are just yes, the, the, going to find scoring the from everywhere. The eighth and ninth players are going to find scoring, and they're going to be just fine. Um, the, I don't know. I don't know if the third and fourth lines can keep this up. Like you said, it's a small sample side size. Um, guys like Amadio. I guess you just go to their career numbers and you say. You know, you have to prove it more than you have so far. It's been great right. so far, but, you know, this is, if you go by career numbers, these are not guys who've, you know, put up tons of goals. And the fascinating part, and if you're trying to find sort of a counterbalance for, okay, the, the third and fourth lines probably aren't going to score that much, the counterbalance is that the Golden Knights defensemen haven't done anything goal scoring wise. Shea Theodore's now scored two after scoring last night. He's the only defenseman that has scored this season. And that is a place where I think before the season started, we would have looked at it and said, okay, they're going to need Theodore and Petrangelo, Petrangelo to score goals for this team. And then Nick Haig should score a few as well. Um, but those are guys that they're going to need to score some goals. You know, McNabb, you're not expecting much from ne- neither Martinez. Martinez's like goal score, no. But you look at it, okay, Theodore has two so far. That's pretty good. But maybe it's Alex Petrangelo, right? He's got 18 shots on goal. He's yet to score this year. Maybe it's Alex Petrangelo who, okay, when Amadio or Howden or Colasar or Waugh, when those Stop goals scoring. dry, yeah, when those dry up for a period of time, does Alex Petrangelo have a ten-game stretch where he scores six, seven goals or something like that? So that might be where sort of the the balance comes in if the bottom six don't score as much. But it is, I mean, if you if you had told me that they were going to be top three in goals this early in the season and Petrangelo and Theodore and the rest of the defensemen have combined for two, I. I probably wouldn't have believed you because right. then, or you'd you would be have thought the me. top six had like 12, right. 13 goals. Right, we'd be talking about oh, Eichel's off to like the best start yeah, in the exactly. NHL or something. So it's it's been curious that they've been able to score this much. And if you're trying, we've you know eight games in, but if you're sort of projecting out the rest of the season, it's a very good sign that goal scoring hasn't been an issue. I mean, the two, again, goal scoring and goaltending; those were the two questions coming into this year, and both have been excellent. Like the Aiden Hill and Logan Thompson have both been phenomenal in basically every single start this year. And you throw in that they're getting depth scoring. Every question's been answered through eight games. Now, can it continue for, you know, another 80 or 74 games this year? We'll see. But so far it's been phenomenal. Yeah. I'm and I thought another question was, and we're going to talk about this in, in a bit, uh, how the new defensive concept would work and how quickly they would pick it up. And I know first, couple games they struggled a lot but it seems like they've picked that up a lot more and if they can do that and keep scoring goals uh they're gonna have a really good season yeah they're, they're gonna be in the playoffs i mean everything we've seen so far this is a playoff team that maybe they're a step below the actual contenders but this is definitely a playoff team yeah. based on everything we've seen now phil kessel scored his 400th goal of his career Finally. last night he broke the record for consecutive games played at 990 um his goal was the first of the game. Uh, by the way, he got a little mini breakaway because he's still fast, apparently. Can skate past people. Uh, but here's the important question. Was Jack Eichel holding Phil Kessel back? <laughs> well, 
He scored his first goal really on a power play the night before, and then William Carlson was yeah. outside. So I'm not going to blame Jack Eichel for that. Ah, you um, can though. No, I don't want to. I, I don't want to. Um, <laughs> I don't think he was holding him back. Uh, I don't think Jack Eichel holds many people back. You know, um, I mean, like I said, it was his first goal. Um, I don't know if he's fast, by the way. Although the announcer said he was streaking down the ice. I don't know the last time Phil Kessel struck uh, was streaking down the ice on a breakaway. Um, but yeah, I don't think Jack Eichel was holding him back. Um, I think he was. I think really? he was. Yeah, what, where's the was goals? Was it wasn't involving Eichel? him enough? Where's the goals with Jack Eichel? Come on, you play with Brett Howden and Michael Amadio. All of a sudden, <laughs> he's putting the puck in the back of the net. Where's it at with Eichel? He, he's out there with Eichel and and Stevenson. And, Stevenson. and, and Stevenson's just in the way because he's the, he's the fast guy on that line. So what's yeah. Phil Kessel supposed to do? As soon as you get him with the great players like Howden and Amadio, he's out there to score. Yeah, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say no on that, and I think you're just being facetious at this point. Okay, I do have a legitimate question for you. Do you believe the NHL should have changed the schedule so that Phil Kessel broke the games played record in somewhere other than San Jose? Changed it after it was made. So the schedule was announced, and then Phil Kessel signed with the Golden Knights. So this wasn't. Oh, a, okay, okay, okay. Yeah. So. Obviously, the NA, I, I believe if the NA, if Phil Kessel had signed with the Golden Knights before the schedule was out, I believe the NHL would have been smart enough to put him in a fun city like Toronto or Pittsburgh or at home played, or at least a home game against Vegas. But he signs after the schedule and he breaks the record in San Jose on a Tuesday. And I feel like we could have gone through, found a Golden Knights home game against the Sharks later in the year and just flipped it, played this game at home. And later, whatever it is, February, March, something like that, the Golden Knights go to San Jose instead. I feel like that could have been a. You think they really would have changed it after it was already made and already made public? I mean, they never do that. They never do something for, like that. You know, when a pandemic hits, but they never right. do that. But they could have, and I think they should have, because Phil Kessel broke this. ESPN picked the game up for a reason, right? The right. Golden Knights and Sharks is not some must see matchup because the Sharks are terrible. ESPN elected to televise this game because Phil Kessel was going to break the a record. record, right? It's a fairly big deal in hockey that Phil Kessel broke this record, and it happened in San Jose. It just feels wrong that it happened there. When It's a, it's not like a goal chase where, oh, he's got to score five goals to start the season to break some goal record. You, you know exactly when the record's going to be broken because it's just a matter of how many games he plays. Should have changed it. Should Who cares? Set a precedent. Say, yeah, the next time somebody else plays 990 games in a row, we'll <laughs> change the have, schedule for them we're, too. We're going to have them play Tampa Bay on the road. That's right. But yeah, so I think they should have. Would have been much better that way. And I feel like it would have been, been better. Easy. I just don't think they've ever done that. And I don't nah, know if they but, would say they would, I guess, admits the wrong word, but to come out and say, well, you know he's breaking records, so we're gonna we're gonna change the we're gonna change the schedule based on that. Um, we talked about this uh, yesterday and, and the day before with you. Uh, this is a huge record, isn't it? And can you um, can you imagine? Did you see some of the numbers of people trailing him? That's when you put this number in perspective yeah, of like the next guy and like how many like the combined games of the entire Golden Knights are not that many. And I mean, just these numbers that are put out there. And last night. Um, Messi and these guys that in between periods are putting up what their numbers were in terms of consecutive games, like 146. You know, you've got like Hall of Famers, and then you see his number. It's, it becomes more and more amazing that he was able to do that. So let me ask you this question to answer your question. Does Phil Kessel get signed by the Golden Knights this year if he's not chasing this record? 
I think he does. I think they think thought. So? Yeah, I think they thought that he would. You know, he had. What did he have last year? He only had eight goals, but he had. Boy, I'm trying to remember. Forty something, fifty assists. They were looking for offense. Um, see if he has anything left. Yeah, I think. I think so. I think they do. I don't. I don't think they sign him so they could have one or two nights of you know, yeah, you know, uh, celebration for something you know he did throughout his career and he you know he only played what it's there's eight games in. Yeah. So I don't think they sign him just because eight games in, because once he gets the record now, no one's going to talk about it. I'm, I'm sure we'll say when he does his thousandth game, but I think there was more to it than just the record. Yeah, and so do I. And I, I think it is a big deal, and especially in the sport of hockey, where we just witnessed a team last year suffer so many injuries, yeah. right? Like, that's the part that I think is most impressive. Like, Cal Repkin played, what, 2,000-something mm-hmm. games in baseball, which is, it's an absurd number, but it's relatively compared to hockey it's fairly easy to do that in baseball compared to hockey because you don't get as hurt in baseball and hockey i mean guys get hurt every single game like, right right you're blocking pucks right. with you're your blocking face pucks. Half the time now phil kessel has probably made it this far because he doesn't block pucks he's like yeah hey, i'm not going to stand in the way of that but that i think is the impressive part for this sport and how brutal it is injury wise to basically never have a serious injury. Well, and never get sick enough or never, right. you know, never just basic things that guys will sit a game for. Right. And he's been in the entire time, right? That that it's it is impressive. And it's impressive to be good enough to never be healthy scratch too. Like that's right. the other part of right. this where there's never I think what happened in like his third or fourth year is when the streak started. There hasn't been a time since his third or fourth year where a coach Although, was like, ah, we'll be better without you." You think that happens eventually? I do think it happens eventually. Not if he keeps scoring, but if he yeah, doesn't. Yeah, that's true. But, yeah, I do think that happens eventually where his role on the team might not exactly fit on the uh-huh. third line. So, we'll see. Cassidy. Let, let, him, uh-huh. let him get to 1,000 and then start start chopping those those uh, yeah. lines out. No Phil Kessel there anymore. All right, coming up next, we will jump into some Raiders. You know, the fact that, like, his balance on contact. You know, this guy breaks a lot of tackles and doesn't go down easily. That's That's a big part of his game, in my opinion. It has been. Since I've been watching him, I think, where was he at? Tennessee, I believe. Um, and then, you know, when he got in the league. So, you know, you try to tackle him. He has a pretty good balance. He can bounce off tackles. Obviously, the speed jumps off the tape. And then the fact that they're able to use him in both the run and pass game. You know, when you start drawing up a back, if you're doing, like, Madden or whatever, and you're trying to rate you – know, I, I haven't played Madden in so long. But, like, you know, but if you're trying to get it together in Madden, I'm sure that's what you would want with your running back. And it causes issues. He could be in the backfield. He could be out wide. They could put him anywhere. They put him at Wildcat quarterback. They could do anything. So you guys just got to prepare for that stuff. We're back to the Press Box Morning Show with Ed Greeny and Tyler Bischoff. Who was that about? Alvin Kamara. Okay. I was, well, I heard running back. I thought we were going Josh Jacobs, but then I heard Tennessee, and I was like, I don't think that's Josh Jacobs. And then they said Wildcat. Now, has Josh Jacobs taken a Wildcat snap in his career? Not that I remember. I'm on it. I was going to say, Gruden should have been doing that in the red zone or something. Just, they, were, they were pretty terrible in there. Should have tried something different. Jesus. Um, all right. Ed, did you see the story about Magic Johnson yes. and potentially buying a stake I saw in it. the Raiders? Yeah. Do we know what the website SEMA4.com is? I do not. Okay. I had, I had not heard of it. Had you? I had not heard I, of it. No. Had not either. No clue what it is, but they are the ones who broke this story, so... If they're real, then this is interesting. They wrote, um, former NBA star Magic Johnson is in talks to buy a stake in the National Football League's Las Vegas Raiders at a price that could set a new record for sports deals 
according to people familiar with the matter. Johnson has been assembling a team of investors in recent weeks for a minority slice of the Raiders. Um, Forbes, who puts out valuations of teams every single year, put the Raiders' value at $6.5 billion. And even if my, uh, Magic Johnson doesn't buy the whole team, if he bought, you know, you can extrapolate what the value of the team is if he buys 10%. You know, it'll tell you how much the uh, overall team is worth. So, my first question to you is based on this, how big of an ownership stake do you think Magic Johnson wants to buy? Is this like a, uh, um, I want to buy 1% to Sam, an NFL owner? Or is this like, I want to buy 15% and yeah. have some say in the team? Well, if he's if he's assembling a team of investors, that means he's getting money from other people. And I just don't think Magic's the kind of guy who wants 1%. Right. I don't think he's going to do this to say, oh, I'm just an NFL owner. I, I, I it, it, uh, I'm trying to think, and I can look this up, what his investment is with the Dodgers. I think it's more than 1%. Um, so I, did, I just don't think Magic's the kind of guy who's going to go to this much trouble and say, oh, I own 1% of a team. I think it'd yeah. be much more than that. And again, he's a sim- Magic's got a lot of money, but he's an, if he's assembling a team investors, I don't think they're going for 1%. Um, according to Alexa Answers, Magic Johnson owns a 2.3% share of the Dodgers. Yeah. So- By himself, though. Correct, I believe so. Yes, that's so, just him. Like, on that's own. what I'm saying. If he's assembling a team investors, right. I think it'd be more than one percent. So the interesting part here is that um, Mark Davis doesn't actually own more than fifty percent of the Raiders. He only owns forty-seven percent of the Raiders. The NFL has a rule in place that uh, if you're going to be considered the majority owner, you have to own thirty percent or more, which is you know not exactly the definition of majority, but that's the way the NFL looks at it, is that if you own at least 30%, you could be considered the majority owner. And that's what Mark Davis is. He owns 47%, which means if Mark Davis was sharing or selling part of his stake in the Raiders, he could still sell about 15%. Still be of, the majority owner. and Yes, and still be considered the majority yeah. owner. I'm guessing Magic Johnson wants to buy whatever share from people not named Mark Davis. But I guess there is a chance that Mark Davis could say, hey, I can sell some of my stake in the Raiders, get some money right now for Magic Johnson, and then, hey, look, I have Magic Johnson yeah. as a part owner or whatever. Is there any way that Magic Johnson's, like, involved in team decisions at, if this does, in fact, happen? I mean, I guess it would depend on how much he owns, what, what the stake is. I, right. You know, what has been the secession? That, that's what everyone has always wondered, right? Um there are no heirs. Uh, you know, it's him and his mom. Um, she's in her 90s. Uh, you know, what is a secession uh, situation? And, you know, I'm sure it's in a trust and there must be a plan. But I think that's what every, everyone's always wondered. That's been kind of the big question asked, right? What would happen to this team if he no longer owned it? Um, I may, Maybe that's one of the reasons Magic's trying to do this. Um, every, and he sees that. Everything you just said reminded me of Game of Thrones. Ah, there's there. Who's the heir? There's no succession in life. Like the new Game of Thrones show on HBO, House of the Dragon. I just finished that um, over the weekend. That's like the the entire point or the entire plot point of the new season. Who takes over? There's a king and there's no clear uh, plan of succession. And it's great. Everything you just said is like the exact same way that that movie is or that show is set up. So maybe the king's buying a part of the team. Yeah, there's going to be dragons and somebody's going to, you know, <laughs> light Allegiant Stadium on fire at some point is what's going to happen here. Um, but, yeah, I, I'm i curious sort of the end game here for Magic Johnson because does he, like, if you're buying into the Raiders right now, 
you're not exactly buying at a low point. You're buying at, at a high oh, point. With now, the yeah. Yeah. Now values of NFL teams are, are probably still going to keep going up uh, in time. So it's not like if Magic Johnson finds a way to to put a whole bunch of money into this, he's not going to find a way to sell sell some later in life and and pull a bunch of money out. But if you were going to invest in the Raiders, it would have been you know five years ago, and now you would be yeah when they were still up in Oakland. Right, your value would be significantly higher. So I'm curious, like if you're Magic Johnson, I can't imagine. He would be, I don't know, what does he, does he do anything with the Dodgers or does he just own 2.3% and hey, it's Magic Johnson? I think he owns 2.3% it's Magic Johnson. He's got his front row seats. So maybe he does that. Maybe this, is this a cheaper way for him to get good seats at Allegiant Stadium I mean, every week? I go back to, I don't I'd like to know who the team of investors are because I think he, he's got enough, he's probably got enough money to own 1% by himself, yeah. but I just don't know if you're assembling other investors to buy 1%. I don't, yeah. I don't, that doesn't make any sense. He's got enough money to do it um, at a very large, a slow percentage. That's why I agree with you. You're down here, like what, 15%, um, you know, a, a, a serious chunk to where maybe he'd have some say in stuff. I mean, if he bought 15% and he bought it from Mark Davis, we'd be talking about him only, him or Mark Davis only owning about 15% 30, more yeah, than Magic about Johnson 15% more. at that point, which... Again, it's still more, and Mark Davis will still be considered the majority owner, but that sort of would be an interesting setup, and especially, like you said, the the, the heir, the line of succession right. here uh, would be interesting, given that Mark Davis doesn't have a clear, like, hey, this is my child that I'm going to pass it off to, like a lot of them do. Um, I just hope, at the end of the day, it leads to us getting Magic Johnson tweets about the Raiders. I hope it leads to us saying Magic will be with us at 830. That too. That would be fun. <laughs> that would be very good. Uh, joining us at seven thirty, Danny Webster, live. I think from the airport. Yeah, from in the San airport Jose. in San Jose. Left corner for him. Has some help. Puck came through. Extra pass. A shot saved by Hill, stopping Eric Carlson. Out of the zone on the deflected puck. It's the press box with Grady and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Joining us now, uh, I believe from an airport in San Jose. Danny Webster of the Las Vegas Sun. Are you at an airport, Danny? I indeed am at National Airport, gents. Good morning to you. All right. I'm excited. I hope we get some um, intercom action from yes. the airport. That is <laughs> that is always my Danny favorite. Danny Webster, please report to C-14. <laughs> C-14. You have left something at uh, TSA. Yes. Please return. <laughs> uh, all right. Very important question for you. Was Jack Eichel holding Phil Kessel back? You know, you know what? It's funny. Uh, the fact that he's been moved down to this line, he's actually kind of become the number one scorer on that line. And suddenly now, he looks like the Phil Kessel of old. Uh, I don't know if held back is the right word, but you know what? He's he's looked really good through these last two games. And I don't know if uh, two-game sample size is enough to say that this line is actually good with Amadio and Howden. But so far, I mean, they produce goals in back-to-back games. So... So far, they're they're batting a thousand. Is it a good enough line to where this depth scoring can continue? That's that's the interesting question. I don't know if they need to make a change at forward. I think it's going to depend. Honestly, I think it's going to come down to Michael Amadio since he's been the one that's been in and out of the lineup with Paul Cotter over the last few games. So I think it's going to be up to him if he can keep this production up and if he can continue to play as well as he has. I think this line has the potential to be something decent, but I think we're going to need probably a few more games to find out. 
This team is third in the league in goals. I think it's second in expected goals so far this season, and they've gotten goal scoring from Amadio and Cotter and Howden and Waugh. Is that something you expect to keep up? Like, do you think they'll continue to get goal scoring from their depth forwards the entire season? I think the way Bruce Cassidy rolls out his lines, that is that is a potential possibility when you look at the fact that the fourth line has been chipping in offensively as well as it has. The fact that I, I think it's all but maybe a couple of players now on this roster have actually scored a goal or put a point up on the board this year. So they're getting scoring from everywhere on the lineup. I think the biggest thing is we noticed over the last couple of games with the fourth line, especially when they're going up against these top lines, like the Matthews line, or if they're going up against, you know, star studded players, are they going to be able to hold their own in the defensive zone long enough for Bruce Cassidy to trust them in the offensive zone when they get a shift in the, in the O zone? So that's the biggest thing for me. I think given the fact that you look at every line and there is a there is a potential guy that can score a goal on this line. I I do think it is possible. I think just ultimately it comes down to if they can hold their own in their own zone. Can you see the misfits staying together now for the foreseeable future? I think the way that they responded last night, uh I, I think so. Uh they had a horrendous shift. I think I said last night it might have been the worst shift they've ever had together. Uh, at the end of the second period on the Edinburgh. Well, for them to come back the way they did in the third period and contribute to two of those goals, Shea Theodore scored the first one, but it was Jonathan Marshall making the play in the crease uh, to get the puck to McNabb to find Theodore, and then Carlson to make the play that he did to give him the lead. Those are the kind of plays, those are the kinds of shifts that earn a coach's trust, and if a line can play that well, in a response to really what was a bad end to the second period overall, uh, that that's a good sign, and I think that that's going to trust Bruce Cassidy to play that line even more together. All right, pick one of these three as most important reason why the Golden Knights are off to a good start. The goal scoring, the goal tending, or the fact that nobody's actually gotten hurt eight games into the season? <laughs> Uh, you know what? I probably would have said goaltending until you said clean bill of health because I know that a lot of teams are dealing with injuries right now. But uh, honestly, it's got to be the goaltending. I think no one really expected Logan Thompson and Aiden Hill to perform as well as they have right now, it's especially Aiden Hill. And I don't and I don't think it's you know a, you know a slight on Aiden Hill, but for him to win three starts and to only allow I think two goals each in his first three starts, and again the quality of competition is everything in this point. But given the fact that he is certifiably the backup and he's won some games and he's held teams just two goals each, I think it's huge. And the fact that Logan Thompson, no matter who he's played against, whether it be Toronto, uh, Calgary, Colorado, whoever it is, he's stepped up and he has performed as well as he can. I think, I think it was, what, his last three goals he's given up a five-on-five, like the six goals he's given up in the last three games. Only three of them have come at five on five. So imagine if the PK, you know, didn't have to play six times in Calgary. Imagine if he didn't give up two goals against Colorado on Saturday. He's been tremendous. And if not for the for the way these two are playing, I don't think Vegas is sitting at six and two right now. Uh, it sure seems like his scripted uh, goalie rotation has worked. Do you think he stays with it? Remember, uh, the start of the year goes well for October. We have something scripted. 
I guess this is the way he did it. Um, he, you know, he doesn't show his his you know his scripts or his pieces of paper with all all the goalies uh, mapped out. But did you do you like how he's done this in terms of who's played when? I think so. I I think one thing that he's done is given Logan Thompson the contending games to see how he can fare against the top teams, and then this is their first back-to-back all year. So the fact that he's been able to get Aiden Hill a couple of other starts outside of a back-to-back again competition and you know schedule uh, competition scheduling is all important in this instance. Um, I, I think the way that he scripted it out has worked uh, fairly well right now. Uh, the biggest question now, as we approach November 1st, when the Rocker Swaz is supposed to be reevaluated coming off hip surgery, is what in the world does Bruce Cassidy do with the fact that Laurent Persuade does come back and he does put himself in the goalie rotation, it's definitely going to uh, inquire a lot of questions uh, as to what they do with this rotation going forward. Was there a baby screaming behind you? There absolutely was. Yes, there was. Uh, see, <laughs> see, this is this is why, everybody. <laughs> Danny, you might not be aware of this. I am doing the show from home because yesterday... I had a vasectomy, and that is exactly <laughs> why. Oh, God. Yes, yes. I am so sorry, buddy. <laughs> yes, we all are. It's yes. a great day. It's one of the best days of It was like of one of life. his best days of his life. Yeah. It's probably the same as when Ed's ch- children were born. Yes, same thing. exactly. Oh, my yeah. God. Well, you yeah. know, one of this keeps up, maybe I have to consider one. Like, yeah, so, that's right. You know <laughs> Get that baby out of here. Um, oh, all right, well, I'll, I'll ask you this on the goaltenders. Logan Thompson and Aiden Hill, greater than or less than Robin Leonard and Marc Andre Fleury. Ooh, are we talking uh, COVID year? Robin Leonard, Marc Andre Fleury when they won the, the Jennings, or were we just yes. talking overall? Yes, when they were the best goalie tandem in the league. <laughs> I mean, you can't argue with how that tandem played in the COVID year. The fact that they were playing back to backs every two or three days—if that's even logistically possible—and you know, I think they got they got a lot more to go, and I think they got a lot more uh, tough teams to beat later on. But you know what? If they uh, if they keep this pace up, they might they might run away with a Jennings too. But that that would probably be the greatest story we've ever seen out of this team. Uh, I want to ask you real quick about defensive scoring. Uh, Shea Theodore has two, Petrangelo none yet, and you know if this depth scoring kind of uh, uh, clams up, uh, I think that they need more defensively. Who? Who defensively do you think needs to step up here? And, and has Petrangelo had a slow start that people have talked about? Uh, well, the answer to that question would be Alex Petrangelo, and I think he has probably had the worst start out of any of the players on this roster. He just has not looked like himself. The pucks are bouncing off his stick. His passing is not where it needs to be. He doesn't. I don't want to say he doesn't look engaged, but he doesn't look like the Petrangelo that I think we've been accustomed to seeing. He's been off. The timing's been off. I don't know if at this point it has anything to do with the system or if it's just the fact that he's just not playing well. I think it is mostly the latter. Um, but right now, he he kind of needs to get it going, whether it's it really defensively, he's also kind of fallen off too. So I think he does need to find a way to get going offensively. You know, he looked a little bit better in power play the last couple of games, but overall, offensively, a five on five. Uh, and yeah, wow. Okay. Um, <laughs> sorry, guys. <laughs> um, uh, the fact that Petrangelo needs to get something going at five on five, I think, really tells you uh, where he's at right now. And it's not, it hasn't been a great few starts, but hopefully he can get it going again early, but we'll see where that goes. 
All right, Danny, we'll let you go, and hopefully you can run away from that crying baby. He's Danny Webster from the Las Vegas Sun. We appreciate it, Danny. Thanks, Danny. Thanks, guys. Appreciate having me. <laughs> I mean, uh, how I how much ne- is this, this, oh. this, like, morphing into your your perfect example of why you did what you did yesterday? I don't know if I've ever felt more vindicated in my life than right now. <laughs> I mean, we're, the morning after I get a vasectomy, we just hear screaming, baby, live from the airport. What a nightmare. <laughs> You, uh, you know thing. they don't go away, right? Like, just because you had a vasectomy doesn't mean yeah. children stop but it, existing. But here's the key. I can walk away from your baby. If it's my baby, I can't just walk away from that well, thing when it's screaming in the air. Hold on here baby, a second. Hold on, I, baby. I, got a, I got a chance to, to guess that you'd go 50-50 on that one. I mean, I might do it, but I'd probably get in a lot of trouble if I just walked away from my own baby. So I'm just not going to have one. Based on a lot of my friends from the Midwest whose dads went for cigarettes and never came back, that's a fairly common practice. (laughs) So, okay, maybe I can walk away, but then I I might actually have some guilt for the first time in my life if I did that. As As he's crying and you're walking away? Nah, who am I kidding? I don't care about those kids. All right, we got Elton John tickets to give away. Two tickets to go see Elton John Farewell Yellow Brick Road, the final tour at Allegiant Stadium on November 1st. We got a pair of tickets now, plus some later in the show, so make sure you stay tuned. 702-364-1100 is the phone number. Call in right now. Be caller number 11 at 702-364-1100. You'll win a pair of tickets to go see Elton John. And I'll just leave it as we did what we felt was best for the team and the players involved. And obviously it didn't work out, but that was the decision. We're back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff. We'll get more into Bailey Zappi, Mac Jones, and the New England Patriots quarterback situation in the front page. But I do want to talk about some comments made by the commissioner of the Big Ten, Kevin Warren. These are from last week, but didn't get to them. Uh, so he was asked about Big Ten expansion, right? They had USC, UCLA. Are they going to do more? Are they done? Whatever. Couple of quotes he gave. One, I don't think I've pushed pause on anything ever. I'm a big believer in taking care of what you have, taking care of these new opportunities. USC, UCLA, and our new partners, and CBS with basketball and football and NBC, and then making sure that you're prepared when things happen. Generally speaking, I don't believe we are in a position that we have to go out and aggressively recruit any other schools. So he says they haven't pressed pause on anything, but they're not the ones actively recruiting. They're not the ones aggressively going out to schools trying to add members. Is that the commissioner of the Big Ten basically saying, hey, people are coming to us. People want to join us. We just have to sit back and decide who makes sense or if any of them makes sense for us to add to our conference. Yeah, I think we both know that Oregon and Washington called up right after USC and UCLA went there. I don't. I think Oregon and Washington got spooked. They got scared. They looked at the rest of the Pac-12 and started calling around to get out uh, from where they were. So it might be him saying exactly what you just said. You know, we've had people come at us, but we don't know if we want to do that yet. But we haven't closed the door on it. Uh, look, th- this is the bottom line: is what you have down here. It just depends on Notre Dame. That that the the Big Ten is waiting on Notre Dame. Uh, now maybe they add someone in the meantime. But I think Notre Dame, we were saying this when we were at Notre Dame the other day, it just, Notre Dame, everything about it just feels like the Big Ten. It just feels like a Big Ten fit and why they're not in it yet. 
I mean, I guess I can understand with their TV deal and, and how much money they make uh, by themselves, but it just feels like a Big Ten team. And I think the Big Ten has waited forever for Notre Dame to agree to that. So I'm curious on, on two things. First, on the Notre Dame side, what would happen or what would have to happen for Notre Dame to join a conference? Because as it stands right now, they're independent, they get treated like a Power 5 program, and they have a ridiculous TV deal for a, a school that's all by itself. Notre Dame has no real reason to join a conference right now. They're, they're perfectly fine being treated as a Power 5 without actually being in a Power 5 conference. So what would have to happen? Like, would there have to be some well, sort of— Well, wouldn't there of... have to be some sort of super conference and everyone breaking away and saying, yeah. if, you don't, if you don't join, you're not coming with us? That, to me, is like the only thing I can see that would happen. Now, maybe if the college football playoff like left Notre Dame out at 11-1 and or 12-0 and a couple times in a row uh, because, oh, well, we've got conference champions. Right, make a statement. Maybe, but I, that, that's probably not going to happen. If Notre Dame goes 12-0, and they're going to be in the college football playoff. Yes. If they go 11-1, and they're probably in the college yeah. football playoff most years. So I just, to me, it's hard to figure out why Notre Dame would be enticed. I guess the other reasoning could be is if the Big Ten said, hey, you're going to make, you know, double the amount in TV money that you'd make as an independent. The problem is that's not true. Like Notre Dame's going to no. make about as much as all the other schools in the Big Ten are going to make on their new television deal. So it's just, if you're looking at Notre Dame and if that's the key to everything, then nothing's going to happen anytime soon because Notre Dame has no incentive to join a conference right now. Something big would have to happen. So... My other question to come back to the Big Ten, why would they want Washington and Oregon? What benefit would Washington and Oregon bring to the Big Ten? Not as much as USC and UCLA from the market standpoint, and you're just splitting up the pie even more. You're just splitting up the financial pie anymore. So I don't know what the hunger would be for either of those schools. Right. I can't think of a good reason either. The only thing I could think of is if USC and UCLA really push to have more West Coast teams. Uh, but even then, if I'm the Big Ten, I say, well, you knew you were joining yeah, the Big exactly. Ten, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, you knew from the beginning where you were going. So I, I can't think of a good reason for the Big Ten to go after Oregon and Washington right now. So to put this into perspective for the big picture in college football, but also here locally with UNLV, it feel, nothing else is going to happen, right? I mean, the only other way things happen is if one of the Big uh, Big 12 or Pac-12 gets aggressive and tries to steal somebody from the other conference, right? And that doesn't appear to be either conference's um, intention. Well, at the Pac-12 meetings the other day, didn't the commissioners say that they were not closing the door on expansion? He did say that, but it it, it doesn't feel like— I don't know what like that the, means in terms right. of, you know, when does, it, when does that mean? Does that mean after this year? I saw something on Twitter predicting if it happened, it would happen in April after the Final Four. It doesn't feel like the Big 12 or the Pac-12 are going to raid each other. Um, now, listen, we had no idea USC and UCLA were talking to the Big 10, and all of a sudden it was announced. So things can just come out of nowhere in this, and it seems like every time there is an actual realignment, we don't hear about it until it's announced. But it, to me, it feels like the Big 12 and the Pac-12 aren't going to raid from each other, which means you're really only left with, will the Pac-12 decide to expand to a San Diego State, a UNLV, a Boise State, a Colorado State. Right. And maybe they do. Maybe they decide, hey, we need to get back into the Southern California market. Let's go get San Diego State. And they need a travel partner or whatever. We need to even out the conference. Here's UNLV. But it just feels like we might be at a standstill, and it might take 
a breakaway by the Big Ten and the SEC to actually cause anything significant to happen, and that wouldn't be good news for UNLV. Okay, so all that, everything you just said makes perfect sense, but this guy has definitely pushed pause on something in his life. Like, I mean, he's old enough to have owned a VCR. I think the statement I haven't pushed pause on anything is absolutely ridiculous. What if he just always let the movie play? Well, the, but like bathroom breaks and popcorn breaks, like <laughs> that's what's the point of owning a VCR? Just let it play, Jared. You don't. There is no pause button. And turn up the volume very high so you can hear it in the bathroom break. <laughs> yeah. That's got to be a very button. unfortunate thing for <laughs> other people watching the movie at his house. <laughs> you you get your popcorn and you go to the bathroom before the movie starts. You My other question movie. was, Tyler, were you eating before we came back? No, I am very congested. Oh, okay. I was hoping that you I was hoping that you had like frozen something and you were just eating from it from your lap. No, that was not happening. No, no. I've got a lot of crap running down the back of my throat. Just came came out of nowhere. Out of like USC UCLA to the Big Ten. Just out of nowhere at the start of this segment. And I'm struggling through it. I'm I'm dying for this commercial break in 30 seconds so I can clear my throat or something. So, yeah, that's what that was. Sounds great, doesn't it? Fun radio from home. I do need to eat something, though. Some stri- See, the problem when I do the show from home, Matt, I don't get to go to Chick-fil-A. I know. I was going to say, I'm surprised you don't have it delivered. I had I had some strawberries right before the show, oh. so I guess I eat healthier when I do the show from home. That's not fun. Nobody likes that. Eating healthy for breakfast? Ridiculous. Yeah.